Who's there? <laughs> that was like the lamest <laughs> kid <laughs> joke ever. Uh, oh, then it's knock knock, right? Who's there? Boo boo who? Mm-hmm. Why are you crying? Exactly. Yeah, because my life is over. Because I have to sit here with Karen. Our lives suck. Happy October. Oh, it is. Oh my gosh, the best month of the year. It's Boo Tober. Uh, you see what I did there? That was good. Uh, stupid. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we are Murder of Ages. That's right. I'm Karen. I'm Wayne Newton. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> nah, I'm Marcy. Uh, Wayne's not. Wayne couldn't make it. Hey, Wayne. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> um, This week, unless if you have any, like, announcements or any... No, just hit yeah. the ground running. I know. This week, Let's do it. Was weird because like it went by really quick, but I felt like it was just really busy, you mm-hmm. know. Um. So for our stories this week, we did an Instagram poll and asked if you guys wanted a true, true story of like a true crime. I don't know what a true story of or paranormal true story. And you guys voted for a true crime movie. So that's what we're doing. Oh, yeah. A little behind the scenes from popular cinema. No, it's not even behind the scenes. Whatever. Inspiration. Yeah. Based on. Inspiration based on. That's what Behind the scenes. (laughs) (laughs) And Marcy's up first this week. Thank God. Did you know that Yakima, Washington is the hop capital of the world? No. That's what it says on my can. Oh. Drinking a little 1982. All right. I don't believe it. Mine is, so we focus on past, before 1985, or the present, which Karen will be present. I'm past, so I'm first. So mine happens before 1985. Wait, is it supposed to be the movie happened or the... I, I did the story. I didn't do the movie. The movie, well... Oh, I guess both of mine is. There's a few different adaptations, but the main movie that everyone's going to know was in 2002. Okay. So, so you can guess it when I first start talking about it, because I think you're going to get it. I'm going to feel so stupid if I don't get it. <laughs> I'm I'm going to think you're stupid. But Well, you ask me every episode, <laughs> do you know this movie? Do this one was like, it has a lot of big names. It was really, it was just, it's just, it's on TV all the time. Okay. Yo. Okay. Okay. What if we did the same one? Well, did your murder happen in the present time? Or your movie happened in the present time? I think both, honestly. Well, then you're fine, because mine's... Oh, yeah, both. Okay. Oh, what's happening? You're fine. All right. I have my sources from broadwayinchicago.com, a New York Post article from 2010 titled The Girls of Murder City by Ginger Adams Otis. Uh, a racked.com article uh, called In the 1920s, A Makeover Save This Woman from the Death Penalty by Ray Knudsen. And of course, Wikipedia helped me out a lot. Here we go. Okay. Setting the scene. 
Picture it. Okay. 1924 Chicago, a city of sin and jazz. Prohibition is in full effect, but that did not stop the mixing of gin and guns. So there's a section of the Cook County Jail called Murderous Row. The part of the jail was home to over a dozen women waiting to stand trial, most of them for murdering a husband or a lover. So author Douglas Perry, who wrote a book called The Girls of Murder City, wrote the women of Chicago had become dangerous, especially to their husbands and boyfriends. The police were concerned, but the reporters loved it. Everyone in the city wanted to read about the fairest killers in the land. These women embodied the city's wild, rebellious side, a side that appeared to be on the verge of overwhelming everything else. Chicago took its cultural obsessions to extremes, from jazz to politics to architecture. Most of all, in the middle of Prohibition, the city reveled in its contempt for the law. Any guesses? Chicago. Yay! Look, I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Boop, boop, boop. He had it coming. So oh, good. That is a good movie. Mm-hmm. And musical. Movie musical. Yeah. Musical first. Musical movie. It is a musical movie. <laughs> All right. Catherine Zeta-Jones and Renee, Z- Renee Zellweger, Richard Gere. So in the 20s, juries consisted of all men. Even though women had basically just gotten the right to vote, they still couldn't serve on a jury. So, of course, these men are s- stupid, and they can uh. never find a good-looking woman guilty of homicide. Mm-hmm. So the ones with even an ounce of beauty and or charm were acquitted. This is how crazy it was. Men sent flowers to the jail, uh, made offers of marriage, and even tried to help pay for defense attorneys. Wow. So for these women, crime paid. Hell yeah. Some of the murderesses included Big Anna Piculine, who killed her husband when he made the fatal error of saying he preferred slimmer women. Oh, <gasps> what a dick. Yeah. He had it coming. Yep. And there's Mary Wesenak. Or Moonshine Mary, who got pinched for peddling poisoned whiskey. Mm. Of course, the famous ones, the two most famous, are Bella Anna, Anna Ann, who was the inspiration for Roxy Hart, okay. Renee Zellweger's character. Renee Zellweger. Say it ten times. You can't. You can't <laughs> do it. She was the prettiest murderess in Cook County. Then there's Belva Gardner, who was the inspiration for Velma Kelly, Catherine Zeta-Jones' character. She was the most stylish woman on the cell block. All right, I'm going to talk about her first. Okay. She was born Belva Eleanor Boozinger on September 14th in 1884 in Lynchfield, Illinois. She was a three-timed divorced cabaret singer who used the professional name Belle Brown. So her first marriage was to uh, Mr. Overbeck, and then in 1917, she married William Gardner, who was 20 years older than her Mm. and wealthy. Of course. Five months later, he sued to have the marriage annulled because the divorce from her other husband is not yet final. Got it. So they get it annulled, then they get married again. (laughs) (laughs) And then they separate. Before she commits murder. And uh, during her first divorce from Gartner, she admitted to using a horse whip 
during their lovemaking mm. sessions. Scandalous. Very much so. So she was 38 and had a 29-year-old lover named Walter Law. Walter Law was married and he had a child. On March 11th, 1924, his body was found in her car and he had been shot and there was a bottle of gin along with the gun next to him. Uh-oh. She was found later in her apartment with blood-soaked clothes on the floor. And she confessed that she was drunk and driving with him, but she couldn't remember what happened. Belva ruled the cell block almost from the day she was hauled in, drunk and in a blood-spattered slip. (laughs) Even in prison, she was the life of the party. Here's a quote from her. No woman can love a man enough to kill him. They aren't worth it, because there's always plenty more. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Walter was just a kid, 29, and I'm 38. Why should I have worried whether he loved me or whether he left me? Gin and guns. Either one is bad enough, but together they get you in a dickens of a mess, don't they? Yes. (laughs) So one of Walter's co-workers came forward and said that Walter had confided in him that Belva was possessive and he feared for his life. So her ex-husband, William Gardner, came crawling back and paid for her defense team. And uh, so there was no witness, no material evidence, and they um, that put Belva at the place of the murder. Okay. So they came up with the defense that Walter killed himself in the front seat of her car. Mm-hmm. And she was drunk and panicked, and she fled to her home and blacked out. <laughs> and she was acquitted in June 1924, just three months after the murder. Oh. In 1925, she married William Gardner again. Jesus. In 26, they divorced again. He claimed because she was an abusive alcoholic. Yes. You are not wrong. On July 5th, he claimed that she threatened to murder him after he found her with another man. In November 1926, she was convicted of drunk driving. Oh. And then in 1930, her and William moved to Europe. They just cannot get enough of each other. I guess not. So he passed away uh, in 1948, and she moved to California to live with her sister, and she died in 1965 oh, at wow. the age of 80 by natural causes. Isn't okay. It like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Mm-hmm. Fool me ten Thrice. million times. We're both idiots. <laughs> Is that how it goes? I think probably a very toxic relationship. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, now we have Bella, who was Roxy Hart's inspiration. So, she was born in Kentucky. She married her first husband, who was uh, named Perry Stevens, and uh, they divorced soon after that. And then she met car mechanic Albert Annan. And they went to Chicago together, where they're married, March 29th, 1920. So he starts working as a mechanic in Chicago, and she becomes a bookkeeper at a laundry facility, which is where she meets Harry Kalstedt, and they begin an affair. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. So, 1924, April 3rd, 1924, Bella shoots Harry in her bedroom or the bedroom she's 
supposed to be sharing with her husband. Uh-huh. So her first story was that they were drinking wine and they got into an argument and there was a gun on the bed. They both reached for it, but she got to it first. And she shot him while he was putting on his coat and hat. And she played a Foxtrot record, Hula Loo, over and over again for about four hours while she sat drinking cocktails and watching him die. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. She then called her husband to say that she had killed a man who had tried to make love to her. (laughs) (laughs) At every opportunity, she posed for photographs. She would rub her lips, pull her shoulders in and down to highlight her fragile frame. Oh, my God. And it proved irresistible. Uh, Once she was on the front page of the tabloids, her acquittal was inevitable. She got fan mail by the buckets, along with flowers, and even a hot steak dinner from Chicago's best restaurant. Mm. Everyone on Murderous Row knew she would never be convicted. And the author of the book says, maybe that's why Bella didn't make a run for it. She just washed the blood off her hands and waited for the police. Yeah. So at first she had confessed the murder. Then she claimed she shot him in self-defense because she thought she was about to be raped. Uh, And then another version, she says he told her that he was leaving her and she got angry and shot him. Uh Uh-huh. Which is probably what happened. Right. So her final story was she told Harry she was pregnant And then they struggled, and they both reached for the gun. Oh, shit. Uh, Her poor husband, Albert, he stood by her the whole time. He took money out of his bank account to get her the best lawyers and stood by her all throughout the trial. And she even, to get more sympathy, had claimed fake pregnancy. Mm. So he, uh, you know, and so then the day after the trial ended, of course, she's acquitted, May 25th. 1924 it's what not even a month yeah a little over a month after she's arrested and she announces i have left my husband he is too slow (laughs) (laughs) poor albert (laughs) oh my god and then she changes her story again two years later she says that he left her jesus so uh, in 1927 her divorce is finalizes she marries edward harelib a boxer Three months later, she claims that he had been cruel to her, and she files for divorce. And he paid her $5,000, equivalent to $74,000 in today's money. Hell yeah. After that divorce, she's involved with another man, Abel Marcus. So she dies of tuberculosis at the age of 28. Oh, wow. Uh Uh-huh. Only four years after her acquittal. Wow. So, there's another character in the play, um, movie. They're a woman who doesn't speak English, and she says she's not guilty. I think in the play, or the movie, she's Swedish? I don't remember. I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, I don't remember, but um, the real person who inspired this character was Sabella Nitti, and she was a poor Italian immigrant, and so she's accused of beating her father, her husband, who was a farmer, to death with a hammer and chopping him into pieces with the help of her boyfriend. Holy shit. And she has a very interesting story. She was the first woman sentenced to death in Cook County. Now, she was not attractive, and a lot of the case was built around 
just going after her looks. Mm-hmm. They would lean on sexism, racism, and stereotypes to convince the jury that she was an ugly animal capable of killing her husband with their farmhand, Peter Crudell, even though there was no real evidence. It was all circumstantial. Mm-hmm. And the newspapers reported were even worse. Um, they called her a dumb, crouching animal-like Italian prince. Uh, peasant. Oh my gosh. And there's a quote, Mrs. Nitty ran stubby fingers where the dirt was ingrained into broken nails into her matted hair. She shifted her stocky legs and smoothed out the dark blue skirt, made full and short for work in the field. She hadn't understood a word, but she twisted up her face in a grotesque angle of fear and cruelty and hope. Wow. So there was a body found, but it was never proven to be her husband's. And he disappeared from their farm one night, along with their savings of $300. Oh. So, but Chicago had all these women that were getting acquitted. Yeah. And they really wanted a win because they, I don't know. But thankfully, a group of lawyers banded together to help her. And one of them was a female lawyer named Helen Ceres. So she gave... Sabella a makeover. New clothes, dyed her hair, taught her English. Oh, wow. After this makeover, instead of calling her an animal in the newspapers, she was called a butterfly. Oh, That's, I mean, that is annoying that they just, like, yeah, you total know. flip. Mm-hmm. Ugh, just because of her looks. So she gets her and her supposed boyfriend get a retrial. And, um... They, it was almost as big of a blow to the state's case um, when they saw her transformation. Hmm. So they kept pushing back her trial date, and then finally the charges were dropped. Wow. Totally. Wow. So the reason these stories got put into a play was because of reporter Maureen Watkins, who wrote Chicago. Okay. So she was a minister's daughter from Indiana, and she was working the court beat in Chicago discovering the what was happening mm-hmm. and she did exclusive jailhouse interviews with the women oh that's cool and she was dismayed by the blatant sexism that allowed women like Bella and Belva to literally get away with murder mm-hmm. and she set out to change men's minds about the killer and she made fun of the murders and got their stories in the front page of the paper but instead of condemning the women the public adored them so, uh, her columns documenting these trials were so popular that she decided to write Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was adapted into a 1975 Broadway musical and then the movie in 2002 that won six Academy Awards. So, she wrote it in 1926 and it had a successful run on Broadway. Wow. And then in 1996, they revived it, and it was has the record as the longest-running musical revival in history. Wow. And it's the longest-running show ever behind Phantom of the Opera. Oh. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I love Phantom of the Opera. Um, and to quote the lawyer Billy Flynn from the movie, the play, that's Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! That was good. Yeah, I thought I, it was really interesting. I did not think, like, 
you were going to do that. Because you were so excited. You knew what mm-hmm. story you were going to do. Mm-hmm. And I had, like, I definitely thought you were going to do Psycho. But that probably would have been too. No, because it's too, it's not just one. Mm-hmm. And I th- I had no idea this was a real story. I remember hearing it was a real story. But it was more like, I thought it was loosely based. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, like, how. Like, Roxy Hart char- character was pretty mm-hmm. dead on. Yeah. That was good. Bella. Mm-hmm. Good job. Thanks. All righty. My turn. So just let me know whenever you think you know it. Ooh, I'm so excited. Okay, I'm nervous. Let me deep breathe. <laughs> breathe deeply. Okay. Uh, I got my sources. Um, Wikipedia and all that's interesting.com. Ooh. <gasps> Is it Jawbreaker? What? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Danny Rowling was born in 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport. Shreveport? True blood. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. That was where the the vampire bar. What was it called? Oh, yeah. What was it called? It was a pun. I don't remember. Oh, it's going to kill me. Uh, his father was a police officer named James Rowling, who told Danny that he was unwanted from birth and abused his mother, Claudia, and his brother, Kevin. Oh, that's a great guy. Yeah. In one incident, Danny's mother went to the hospital after claiming her husband tried to make herself, cut herself with a razor blade. <gasps> Is it The Shining? No. Nice try. <laughs> red, red. Uh, she made a lot of attempts to leave her husband, but always returned. Mm. Mm. So sad. Um, and one example of James's sense of discipline, he pinned Danny to the ground, handcuffed him, and had the police take his son away because he was embarrassed by him. Oh. Such a nice daddy. So as a teenager and young adult... Danny was arrested several times for robberies in Georgia and was caught spying on women getting dressed. As an adult, he had trouble staying... uh, Oh, sorry. He had trouble being a part of society and hold down a steady job. In May 1990, he attempted to kill his father during a family argument in which his father lost an ear... And an eye. Whoa. This is not ringing any bells. It will in a second. In August 1990, Danny murdered five students, one student from Santa Fe College and four from the University of Florida. Um, It was during a robbery spree in Gainesville, Florida. He mutilated his victims' bodies and decapitating one. He then posed them, sometimes using mirrors. Ooh. Mm-hmm. He's a freak. In the early morning hours of Friday, August 24th, same year, 1990, uh, Danny broke into an apartment shared by 17-year-old university freshman Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. First of all, I feel like 17 is young to go to university. Oh, she might have like a um, skip to grade... Or some people put their kids in kindergarten when they're four. Like if they oh. test high enough. 
Mm-hmm. So weird. Never had that experience. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finding Christina asleep on the downstairs couch, he stood over her briefly but did not wake her up, choosing instead to explore the upstairs bedroom where Sonia was also asleep. Danny murdered Sonia, first taping her mouth shut um, to stifle her screams and then stabbing her to death. She died while trying to fend him off. Oh, my God. Danny went back up, back downstairs, taped Christina's mouth shut, bound her wrists together behind her back, and threatened her with a knife as he cut her clothes off of her. And then he raped her, forced her face down onto the floor, where he stabbed her five times in the back. Danny posed the bodies in uh, provocative positions, and then he took a shower before leaving the apartment. At least he's smart enough to do that. Ew. Know. This is still isn't ringing any bells. Oh, really? Mm-mm. Hmm. Was it like a actual movie movie or like a made-for-TV Netflix movie? No, it was a movie movie. Hmm. 1996, I think. Or no. Mm. I don't know. Hmm. I have it somewhere down here. I don't know if I've seen it. You have. Really? Yeah. It's like one of your favorites, I feel like. What? Yeah. Not scream, is it? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. This was their inspiration for Scream. Yeah. Well, I had no idea it was inspired by a real person. Uh-huh. It's the Gainesville Ripper. Oh. Uh-huh. In good one, Karen. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. I had no clue. I thought you would have been like, because you love Scream. I know, but that doesn't, I'm like... When did, when did anybody in the movie take a shower after killing someone? Oh. So I was thinking of that. The movie that came out on Netflix, or was it a series? It was a series about, what was it, Unbelievable? Did you watch that? Oh, no. It's on my list. It's really good. It's it's really hard to watch. Yeah, that's what I heard. But yeah, he took a shower mm. after he would rape. Mm. But it was a, he was a serial rapist. Mm, so gross. Oh, yeah. All right. Ready for more? Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On August 25th, Danny broke into the apartment of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt, prying open a sliding glass door with a K-bar knife and a screwdriver. I googled what K-bar knife is because I thought you would ask. I was going to. I was like, no, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. <laughs> You're probably biting your tongue I so was. hard. I'm concentrating. It's just like one of those, it's like a bigger knife that they use like in the military. I saw like a lot of like Marines and stuff or whatever mm. use it. I don't know. Does it have a weird hook on it or something? Or just a big ass no, knife? No, yeah. Huh. I didn't really see any. I mean, I don't know. I'm not in the military, weird. so I don't know. Uh, finding she was not home. He waited in the living room for her to return. At 11 a.m., Krista entered the apartment, and Danny surprised her from behind, placing her in a chokehold. After she had been subdued, he taped her mouth shut, bound her wrists together, together, and led her in the bedroom where he cut her clothes from her body and raped her. As in the Christina murder, he forced her face down and stabbed her in the back, rupturing her heart. He then decapitated the body and posed her head on a shelf facing the corpse, adding to the shock of whoever discovered her. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's fucking nuts. So I know I can't remember the Scream characters. Those two guys. 
Was one of them named Danny? It was Billy and Stu, wasn't it? Oh, was it? I don't remember. I get to where the writer, like, got his inspiration from oh, okay. after. Um, also, on all that's uh, interesting.com, they were saying how he would cut off the girls' nipples and keep it as trophies. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like, my boobs hurt right now. I'm just thinking of Ed Gein's nipple belt. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's so gross. Like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Okay, so by now, the murders had attracted widespread media attention, and many students were taking extra precautions, such as changing their daily routines and sleeping together in groups. Because the spree was happening so early in fall semester, some students withdrew their enrollment or transferred to other schools. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Tracy Pauls, who was 23 years old was living with Manny Tabado, Tabada, sorry, who was also 23, her roommate. So Manny's a boy, Tracy's girl. Okay. On Monday, August 27th, so just two days after, Danny broke into their apartment by the same way, prying open the sliding glass door with the same tools he'd used previously. Danny found Manny asleep in one of the bedrooms and after a struggle with the young man, eventually killed him. Hearing the commotion, Tracy went down to the hall to Manny's bedroom and saw Danny. She attempted to barricade herself in her bedroom, but Danny broke through the door. Mm. He taped her mouth and wrist, cut off her clothing, and raped her before turning her over and stabbing her three times in the back. Danny posed Tracy's body but left Manny's in the same position in which he had died. So with the exception of Manny, all the victims were petite Caucasian brunettes with brown eyes. Mm. So he definitely had a type. Oh. And especially posing them like that, but not posing Manny. Like, he obviously had to kill Manny because he was there. Yeah. He would have told or whatever. Um, Although law enforcement initially had very few leads, police did identify two suspects one a university of florida student edward humphrey who had a history of mental illness um so his photo was shown a lot by media outlets that's because it was one of their only suspects Mm -hmm. authorities publicly cleared him of all charges after danny's arrest and the other suspect was also later cleared um i don't know who the other one was i'm curious now how they find Danny. Uh, yes. So on September 7th, 1990, um, Danny was arrested in Ocala on a, a burglary charge. In the course of that investigation, his tools were matched to the marks left at the Gainesville murder scenes. Oh. The small one-man camp where he was living was in a wooded area located near the apartment complexes that were rented by students. There, investigators discovered audio diaries he had made confessing to the crimes. Oh my gosh. Oh, how would you like to be the one that has to read through all that? Uh, yeah. Or listen or to hear. all that. Yeah. Oh. In November Damn. 1991, Danny was charged with several counts of murder. 
But funny enough, I'm not sure how true that is because on um, All Things Interesting, I think it said that he actually didn't get charged with murder because he got charged um, for burglary. And then, let me see, I... Yeah, I want to say he didn't get, maybe not charged for all of the murders, maybe, mm. something like that. Like, it was something that kind of fucked up. Um, so then, Danny was brought to trial uh, nearly four years after the murders. Whoa. He claimed his motive was to become a superstar similar to Ted Bundy. Mm. Same victim type, too. Mm-hmm. In 1994, before his trial could get underway, Danny unexpectedly pled guilty to all of his charges. Hmm. Um, so during his trial, Court TV conducted an interview with Danny's mother from her home, during which his father could be heard shouting off camera. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, it's kind of uh... creepy. I wanted to look that up, but I totally forgot. So... Let's see. Maybe he was convicted of all of them. I don't know. It, I hate that when, like, different places have different oh, I know. information. I yeah. Okay, so mm. then on April 20th, 1994, Danny was sentenced to death. He was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and um, paraphilia, obviously. Mm. So after he was arrested, police in Louisiana alerted the authorities in Florida to an unsolved triple murder um, on November 4th, 1989. Detectives noted that there were similarities between the Gainesville murders and those of 55-year-old William Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter, Julie, and his 8-year-old grandson, Sean. The family had been attacked in their home as they were preparing for dinner. Um, Afterwards, Julie's body, so the daughter, had been mutilated, cleaned, and posed. Oh. Mm -hmm. So probably his first. Is that what they're thinking? I think so. Uh, Shortly before he was executed in Florida from uh, the killings in Gainesville, Danny claimed responsibility for those murders. Mm. Um, so he actually gave Florida police a handwritten confession and apology for that family murder. Wow. But, like, you don't, I don't know. We've had done some stories that they say it even though they really didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, they know they're going to die. So they just almost want to, like, fuck with police. Yeah, that's You know true. what I mean? So Danny was executed by lethal injection at Florida State Prison on October 25th, 2006, and the U.S. Supreme Court rejected a last-ditch appeal. Danny had a last meal of lobster tail. Mm. He um, sang a gospel hymn, but no statement <sighs> um, was made prior to his execution. Uh, there was a lot of people there who were witnessing his execution Mm. i'm assuming it's families of the people he murdered he was pronounced dead at 6 13 p.m um and 
Yeah, that is the Gainesville Ripper. So he apparently has been the subject of several movies. Okay. Um, his crime spree inspired screenwriter Kevin Williamson uh, to make the popular 1996 slasher film Scream. He initially wanted to do a movie about like an FBI um investigating like a college professor Hmm. so like kind of like i don't know he wanted to incorporate that somehow but the fear of college students fearing for their life and not knowing who the killer is and stuff obviously intrigued him more and um yeah i think he was also writing more aside from scream but uh, you guys can definitely, obviously, Google what he has inspired because he has inspired a lot. Mm. So I just have some, like, tidbits from um, the movie. So, like, some behind-the-scenes stuff. Some real behind-the-scenes? Some re- I even put real <laughs> BTS. Uh, so it wasn't until the last day of filming that the cast were informed of the identity of the killer. Oh, so they didn't even know. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that would make a better movie. It makes more real. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Did the person who was who played the killer even or killers even know? Well, so to add even more secrecy, all cast members were required to sign confidentiality clauses, blah blah blah, um, from discussing the outcome of the story and the killer's identity. So, continuing on with script leaks, leading to script changes, according to a rumor, the identity of Ghostface was changed from the original script because it was leaked online. Mm -hmm. Crazy. So, the original killers were supposed to be Derek, who was Jerry O'Connell, and Haley, who was Elise Neal. Oh. So, they were supposed to be the original killers. Huh. Yeah, which... I feel like when I first watched that movie, I definitely thought Jerry O'Connell was the killer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It kind of like, yeah. you kind of think like everyone is at one point. Um, and then uh, Rose Mc- McGowan? Who McGowan? Play- McGowan, I think. Probably. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, she played Tatum Riley. Mm-hmm. She did an interview with uh, E.W., and said the original title for Scream was Scary Movie. Oh. <laughs> and I was really mad when they changed it. She said the cast and some of the crew got together for a wrap dinner and we all got bottles of wine. Um, and she said everyone drank theirs, but she still has hers. And it says to the cast and crew of Scary Movie. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And she knew someday someone would take that title because now it's you know that funny yeah the spin-off and yeah. it is a spoof of scream yeah yeah <laughs> well that's funny that's it that's all i got cool good job karen thanks good job macy thank you good work good work next week we uh have another theme maybe we'll ask you guys for your input give us some inspiration but the themes are kind of fun. Yeah. I like doing it. It'd be fun to get a little audience participation. 
patient. <laughs> All right, you guys can uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder of Ages. Or send us an email at murderofages at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> Do it now. Please. And thank you. Yes. Now, please and thank you. Okay, close us out. Tall, you perverse, notorious waste. We'll meet you there. <laughs>